talking about our faith to anyone that doesn't share it. Uh, and that's a bad thing. That's a problem. Uh, it's, it's bad that the world is more willing to listen than Christians are to speak. And last week what I did is I went through a, a number of data points, and, and if you were here, you remember that. If you like stats, you love it. If you don't, I'm sorry. Um, but the main things that, that were communicated last week were this, is that uh, when Christians are asked, what is your entry point into talking to non-believers about faith, uh, 70% of them said, uh, I want to ask them, what do you believe? Which is a great way to begin a conversation about faith, is to say, what do you believe about uh, God? What do you believe about uh, faith? And listen first, because it's often through listening that we gain the credibility for other people to hear what we have to say. And the second one was, was this, is that uh, we want people to see our faith lived out in our life to the extent that they might say, why are you the way you are? And that you can say, well, let me tell you why I am the way I am and I do the things I do. And it opens the door to sharing is, is that it comes through uh, people seeing our faith alive in us. Um, this week, uh, we have uh, tomorrow, our Honduras team is getting ready to leave here and go down to Honduras. Uh, if you're part of our Honduras team, if you just stand for one second, I wanna let the church see who you are. Yeah, second time. All right, now go ahead and sit down. I know it's the second time. You've already seen them. Um, be praying for these people this week, that they are able to do exactly that, that through their actions in a country where many of them don't even speak the language, some of them do, uh, that they're able to communicate the love of Christ through their service of others, uh, that people will see Christ in them. Uh, today we've got Praise in the Park going on, where we're going to go uh, out in our Highways and Byways ministries, going to go to the park, and they're going to lead worship, but they're also going to feed people, because it's often in feeding people that they see that you care about them enough to care about what you believe, uh, that we demonstrate faith. Uh, there's so many different ways that our faith is visually shown to people through service of them in little ways and in big ways. One of the other things we talked about is not only how do we enter into those conversations, but last week we talked about how when non-Christians are asked, how many of you would listen if a Christian tried to share their faith with you or tell you about what they believe? Uh, a majority of them say that they would be happy to talk about it, but 89% say that they would be willing to listen in some form, even with a little bit of reluctance. 89%. And what that tells us is that, that nine out of 10 non-Christians are open or at least reluctantly willing to have a conversation about faith. And they asked that same group of people, how many of you interact with a Christian on a daily or regular basis? And two thirds of them did. 66% say, yeah, there's Christians that I interact with all the time. Uh, and they said, how many of you have had a Christian ever share with you the benefits of being a Christian, why they think you should be a Christian, or how to become one. And the number dropped to 30%. 30%. What that says is that the world is open to listening if we would only be willing to talk. And that there is somehow a message that's been communicated to us that the world doesn't want to hear about it. And we've received that and said, fine, we won't talk about it. Uh, 
I, I won't bother you with my beliefs about Jesus. I won't inconvenience you uh, with my conversations about my faith. And the world kind of says, no, I, it's fine. I'll talk about it if you want to. And we go, no, no, I won't, I won't bother you at all with these conversations about things you don't want to talk about. And the world keeps saying, look, I, we're fine talking about it. And when you get out of, uh, of your head, and I think, I think there's, almost all of us have someone in our lives, it's a friend or a family member, uh, that we love dearly, and that their lack of faith and our faith has become an obstacle in that relationship. Do you know what I'm talking about? That there's someone that, that when I say there's a non-believer that you need to talk to about faith, that's the first face that pops into your head. And you've talked to them about it before. And you've anguished about it over time. You've prayed about it. You've taken it to God and you said, God, give me the wisdom to know how to say to them what they need to hear, that they might come to know you, to have a relationship with you. And that, that relationship at times has probably been strained because you want them badly to believe something that they don't. You guys know, in your lives, you know who I'm talking about? I think you do. Um, because we get to a place where that relationship is strained because of our faith and their unfaith or different faith, we tend to take that situation and understand every other unbeliever through that relationship. So that anyone else that doesn't go to church, we automatically assume if I talk about faith in their presence, I'm going to have that experience with a stranger. If I share my faith in Jesus Christ or offer to pray for someone in the public sphere, they're immediately going to be as offended as that person in my life who is offended by my faith. And we paint every non-believer with that brush. The problem is that that's not real, that that's not true. And so we have to find a way to get to the other side of that belief, the other side of that uh, under, misunderstanding about how the world feels about Christianity and, and faith. And if we're going to do it, uh, if we're going to take Jesus at his word that the harvest is plentiful and the workers are few, uh, he says this in a world where the dominant culture is Roman. And the dominant culture is pagan. And the dominant culture worships Zeus and Athena and Apollo and all these other gods. And they live in a world where if you profess your faith in different times in the Roman Empire, you might be killed for it or arrested for it or persecuted for it. And Jesus, in that moment, says the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. And, and we look at the world that Paul's doing mission work in and that Peter's doing mission work in, and we look at our world today, and what we have a tendency to do is to say, yeah, the harvest was plentiful then, but today it's harder. It's harder. Things are worse today. It is different. They had the advantage of being able to present Jesus to a world that it was new and it was fresh and it was the first time they heard it. And it, it was something that, that could appeal to them in a whole new way. We're presenting Jesus to a world that's heard it and left it. But the idea that it's harder to do mission work or to share your faith today than it was for Peter and Paul is pretty dismissive of their suffering. It's pretty dismissive of the challenges that they had. And the reality that over and over again, their message was rejected. 
And not only was it rejected, they had people that traveled around behind them trying to, to round up people to oppose them and to be antagonistic to them and to beat them and, and to kill them. Um, and I, as a preacher, that would be intimidating. If any time I went to a church to preach, if people showed up and started booing me and started yelling at the rest of you, don't believe anything he says. He's a liar and he is against God and God's against him. It would make it hard to get my message out. That's Paul's reality on several occasions. And in that world, Jesus says, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. How crazy is it for us today to, to say to Jesus, oh, yeah, those were the good old days of mission work. Today it's challenging. Today it's difficult. The reality is that the harvest is as plentiful today as it has ever been. If we'll just do the work of sharing our faith with those who don't currently believe. And so I want to go into one of uh, Paul's great sermons. It's in Acts chapter 17. I think it's Paul's best sermon. And I'm not going to get into the, to his sermon because I've done that on a number of occasions, but just the end of it and then the three responses of the crowd. Because what you're going to see is at the end of this sermon, as well as in any occasion that a Christian shares their faith, there are only three possible responses. And I think for so many of us, we get this idea that I can't share my faith because who knows what's going to happen if I do it. Who knows what's going to happen if I talk to this uh, person at, at the mall about my faith? Who knows what's going to happen if I ask my coworker if I can pray for them? Well, here's the thing. There are only three things that can happen. And we're going to see that in, at the end of this sermon, and we're going to talk about what that means for, for us when we share our faith. So starting in Acts chapter 17, and verse 24, it says, The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. It's worth noting that this sermon is given uh, with the Acropolis over his shoulder. You know, the Parthenon is over his shoulder. And he says, one of the greatest temples of all of antiquity, and he says, it's worth noting that the Lord of heaven does not live in temples built by human hands. And he is not served by human hands. Rather, he gives himself everyone, rather, he gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man he made all the nations, and that they should inhabit the whole earth. He marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Therefore, if we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by human design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof, to this, proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered. This is response number one. Some sneered. But others said... We want to hear you again on this subject, which is response number 
too. At that, Paul left the council. Some of the people became followers of Paul and believed. That's response number three. That's it. And then it names some of the ones who became followers and believers. And so what I hope you're hearing is that there are only three potential outcomes to you having a conversation with someone about what you believe or about what they believe. Some people will sneer at you. That sounds unpleasant. I don't remember the last time uh, Leah was like, hey, how did your meeting go? And I was like, eh, they sneered at me a lot, but that's a possible response. And it's not sneering that we're really afraid of because no one really, I don't think today knows what that word even means. It's that they will be angry with us. They will be disgusted by us. They will be rude towards us. Uh, These are what you might consider a red light response. It's angry. It's hostile. It is opposed to what you are presenting. It's not interested. It is bad. This is a bad interaction. Um, And and it's it's not good. It's not fun. It's not pleasant. But it happens. Uh, The second possibility is that some say, I want to hear more about this. This is what you might think to be a yellow light response. This is someone who says, I don't know yet. I don't know about your God. I don't know about your Jesus. I don't know how much it fits the experience of my life. I don't know if the God that you're talking about is the same as the God of someone who mistreated me in the past. I don't know if the God that you're telling me about is the same one that that I feel really bad about, a church experience I had when I was younger, where people treated me badly. And and they say, "I, I don't know. But they don't say, no. They don't say, go away. They don't immediately try to change the subject. They leave it in, in a place of, I'm considering this. I'm considering no, I'm considering yes. It's a yellow light response. And the third option is is what Paul experienced on that day at the Acropolis, is that some will believe. Some will hear the word that is offered to them, and that seed takes root, and it produces a crop, and Jesus in his parable describes it as a crop that's a hundred times greater than what was sown. That that simply by having a conversation with someone about faith, they can become a a source of blessing and growth for God and the kingdom and all kinds of people because you are willing to plant a seed. Because you are willing to open your mouth and share faith with them. And so how do you handle these different situations? How do you deal with the idea that someone might say, hey, that sounds great. You've made Jesus sound exciting and the life with him sound like it could be really good. How do I receive that? When someone gives you a green light response to faith, what you want to do is keep connecting with them. Go back and and, and disciple them. Go back and talk to them about how to become a Christian, how to uh, to get baptized and and how to become a, a Christian. And if you're like, well, I don't know all the verses, that's okay. You became a Christian without knowing all the verses if you don't know all the verses. That means someone else can too. And so you just tell them your story and invite them to follow. And if you need to come bring someone else to talk to them about what the Bible says about things, bring someone else. After you connect with them again and talk to them more about faith, your next task is to start connecting them to other Christians. 
And this is key. You, you don't just baptize someone or have someone come to faith or say, yeah, man, you've, I, I do believe in Jesus. What you want to do when they come to believe in Jesus is start immediately connecting them, not just to Christ, but to Christians. Is getting them into a church, getting them into, uh, whether it's a house church or this church or another church where they live or a church closer to where they, where they live, it doesn't matter. Connect them to Christians. Because the Christian life is always meant to be experienced in community. And young Christians need this more than anyone else. But what if they are, are in a place where there's no other Christians around them? Then you take that person and you tell them, hey, you know how I've shared Jesus with you? Why don't you go share Jesus with five to ten other people that you really love? And that becomes your church. Isn't some of the best evangelists in the New Testament got converted yesterday? And it's incredible how this works. The woman at the well believes in Jesus and who he is and what he's done, and she goes into her village, and the whole village believes. Legion gets his demons cast out and becomes a missionary to, to ten cities. Cornelius has a, has a vision and sends for, Paul, or for Peter to come preach to him. Peter shows up, and his whole household gets converted, which isn't just his wife and kids. It's his servants and everyone that's connected to the industry that is his home. And that whole group becomes a church. You see over and over again that the one who has just become a disciple is already a disciple maker before you even turn the page. And if you're in here today and you're thinking, I'm just one of the newer Christians. I'm one of the like fresh ones. The water's still uh, cool on my skin. I'm not qualified to be a disciple maker. You're probably one of the most gifted evangelists in this room if you're willing to talk about what God's done in you. Amen. If you're willing to open your mouth, if you're willing to tell the story. And so green lights, anytime someone is willing to have conversations about faith and eager to receive that, connect them to Jesus, connect them to other Christians, and connect them to the lost in a way that is evangelistic and grows their faith and connects them to God's mission. When there's yellow light people, uh, people in your light, life that are considering faith, but they're not eager, the most important thing that you need to do is pray. It's pray. And I say that because it's God's spirit working in them and on them that is going to produce a harvest in their life. It is not your skill, your ability, your uh, you know, argumentation that they're wrong and that, that God is right. It's God. God can work in them and on them in ways that you can't. And so if you have a faith conversation with someone, and at the end of it, they're interested, they're not opposed, but they're not eager, they're not ready, you leave that conversation and you go pray for them. And then you find another opportunity to meet with them and follow up. Not so that you, by your ability, can, can turn them, but that you can follow up on what God has done in your absence. That you can ask them more questions about where they are in their considering journey. If they're red light people, there are some people who will react with hostility or rudeness. There are some who will change the topic as quickly as they can. There's others who will remove themselves from your presence as a result of you talking to them about the fact that you believe in Jesus Christ. 
And you know what? If along the story of your life, you get a couple of green lights and yellow lights, isn't it worth a few reds? Isn't it worth a few times of someone saying, I don't want to talk about that and walking away? And, and all you do is say, okay, you tried. You did your part. In this moment and in this season, for whatever reason, and they've probably come by their lack of faith in God honestly. They've probably been hurt by God or the world or the church at some point in their life or someone who, who was a Christian and used God to do harm for them and not to bless them. That's probably part of their story if they're reacting with hostility to your faith. And if you can just leave them with the peace of Christ, do it. Offer it to them. But don't let them say, I left the church years ago and a Christian has never even invited me back. I left Jesus and Jesus has never even sent someone to care about me. We, we would live in such a better world if there were no unbelievers who felt that way. But there's so many who don't believe and think that we don't care because we're not willing to talk about it. What I want to do in, in this sermon, which is a couple weeks sermon, is to just encourage you to normalize talking about spiritual things, normalize talking about faith, normalize talking about Jesus, so that when you encounter people in the world and, and you say Jesus to them, that everyone in the room doesn't all of a sudden get terrified, like, oh no, you mentioned it, you talked about it, it's here. I want you to realize that it is good and healthy and normal to discuss faith with the, even in the unbelieving world. Uh, this is the power of our Alpha course. Our Alpha course starts back up in September. If you're listening to me talk about this today and you're thinking, I don't, I don't know how to do this. I don't know how to uh, talk about faith in normal ways with unbelievers. Uh, come to Alpha. If you've got a friend that you're like, I wish I could talk to them about faith, but I don't know how to do that, invite them to come with you to Alpha. Alpha is like a 10 or 12 week class. We do it on Wednesday nights. It's a video series and it just goes through uh, teaching about Jesus and about the Bible and about God and about prayer and about all these, the Holy Spirit, all these different topics of faith in very normal ways. And one of the things that's fun about it is they do on the street interviews with people uh, they're mostly English people. It's, it's, a, it's a video series that mostly came out of uh, the UK. Uh, and they say crazy things about who God is and who Jesus is and what the Holy Spirit may or may not be. And one of the things that it does is it normalizes the full range of faith conversations. So that if you're in the room and you're like, man, I don't, I don't know anything about God, you can see the, the video and you're like, oh, that person knows less than I do. But then they also have people that are saying really deep and, and powerful things about faith. And, and then after the video, you get in tables and you process it as a group. And everyone is given an opinion. And at no point does anyone say, uh, that's wrong and let me open my Bible and tell you why. It normalizes conversations about faith. We need this in a world that has told us that faith conversations are out of bounds and uncomfortable and unhealthy and, and don't do them. We need to redevelop our muscles of talking about Jesus outside of this building. 
uh, of talking about Jesus when we're with people that don't know him very well. We need to get back to a place where we realize that the world is willing to talk about faith if, or listen about faith if we'll just talk about it. The world is more open and we as a church remain more closed. My goal today is to invite you to not let a few red light experiences prevent you from talking with faith about people that are yellow lights and green lights. It's to make all of this normal. I'm not trying to turn you into missionaries, except for the 12 of you or however many that are going to Honduras. You should be missionaries. Uh, And those of you going to Praise in the Park, you should be missionaries. But in the normal, everyday run of life, at a restaurant, at a workplace, at a playground, find opportunities to talk to people about prayer, about faith, about Jesus. This year, we're going to keep coming back to this. We're going to keep looking for opportunities that we can be praying, God, help us to hear the stories of lost people. Help us to see them so that we can understand that they need you. And help us to be able to speak truth and love uh, to a world that needs to hear about both the truth and the love that are in the gospel and in the good news. We do have good news and we're afraid to tell it to people. We've got to change this. We've got to get over our evangelistic laryngitis and get to where we're willing to sing about it. We're willing to shout about it. And we are always praying about it. If you need to respond this morning, uh, come forward as we stand and sing.